Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Role Playing as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we talk about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in. Joining me, we have Finder, Scott, and Jared. Hello, guys. <laughs> now, if anyone doesn't remember Jared, he was on an episode previous with us, and we loved him so much, we decided to have him back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's it's always nice. It's always nice. Uh, well, on this episode, we've decided to discuss barriers of entry with RPG games, but also within just the tabletop hobby itself, just because there is quite a few, and most people think of it mostly as money-wise, but I think there's a few more that mm -hmm. we should be discussing that most people, I think, kind of ignore. So, to start it off, when you guys think of uh, barriers of entry, what do you think of? Jared, do you want to start? Sure, and I'll start by saying money isn't one of them. Um, I really feel like the tabletop RPG hobby is probably one of the cheapest hobbies you can get into. Like, even if you're, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons is probably the most expensive one. Uh, mm -hmm. And even if you're buying all three of the main books, assuming that you're going to be the one that's going to run the game, uh, that's what, uh, 150 bucks? Um, <laughs> Trying to buy an army in Warhammer? Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. So much. Right? So, much. so and, and like, uh, starting up any hobby is going to cost you a lot of money. If you want to start up a woodworking hobby, uh, you're looking at a ton of money in, in tools. Mm -hmm. So uh, I really don't think that the money is really uh, the biggest of the barriers. Um I think uh, the social ones are probably some of the biggest ones. And I think there were more back when a lot of us got started than there are now, because at one point in time, being a tabletop role-playing <laughs> gamer was like death for your social, uh, your social life. Um, but even without that uh, now, just finding other people who want to play and ostensibly somebody who knows how to play so they can run the game. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about that, though, two things. One, I, I continue to be an oddity in this regard because I was an open TTRPGer in my youth and in high school, and it never affected me socially, ever. Um. But the other thing that's interesting nowadays is the learning how to play. There are so many videos on YouTube that we didn't have. I think growing up, it was much harder for us to, if we didn't know somebody that was already in it, it was hard because it's like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. And that was uncomfortable. So fortunately, I had my brother that I always watched him DM his, his friends. And so that at least gave me something that I could model. But my other friends, when we were trying to figure out who wanted to be the DM, they didn't have that. And so it kind of fell to me initially. And then once they saw how it works and they were able to jump in and start doing it. But that that's uh, that's one thing I think to your point about money, it is cheaper nowadays, especially with all the electronic options that are available. Um, <laughs> right through RPG, all that sort of stuff. You can get cheap books now, except for D&D, &D, of course, which is <laughs> still the most expensive, like you said. <laughs> Oh, there are also electronic options for pretty much anything that's out there. So, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I, and if you if you pick your uh, 
your virtual tabletop RPG. You can usually yeah. buy the books yeah. in that virtual tabletop RPG, mm-hmm. and they tend to be a little bit cheaper there than if you're buying hard copies. Yeah. yeah. I also just want to say that I think probably if you're looking at the most expensive RPG, it probably would have been the last edition of Shadowrun because they had like umpteenth edition. How many books did they have? Eight. Ten, I, I, I bought a bundle with all of them, and I think it was something like. I think it was like 15 to 20 books and because it gives you it tells you how much on the bundle you're saving and i was saving something like i think it was like 530 bucks yeah okay just... but like that's <laughs> that's like trying to buy all of the adventures for D and yeah. all of yeah. the uh, yeah. uh additional supplements right with uh shadow run you really only need the core one core mm-hmm. book and there's a lot of play that you can get out of that book. Yeah, it, it's it's very true. I was thinking it too extreme. It's just like first edition Pathfinder. Ooh, oh, that one was also kind of brutal for books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure second edition Pathfinder will get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Scott? When you think when you think of barriers of entry, what do you think of? Uh man. Um... You know, it's. It, I do think the social is probably the bigger one, um, because they're like I was. I'm like rich. I ran. I played sports and whatnot and skateboarded. Um, so the RPGs was just the douchebag trifecta, I guess. Um, <laughs> that and I like to fight, so it just really doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, you still there's there is that social shunning, and you know, even the negative portrayals of nerds and whatnot still continues. Like even as even as ubiquitous as D&D is as a term it's it's still seen as a nerd hobby by 99% of humanity uh it's just it's just how it's always going to be um yeah just it's not as bad a thing to be a nerd anymore yeah exactly it's like oh my god so random it to be <laughs> oh I play D&D oh my god so random um instagram <laughs> filters and then um but really the social stuff when I asked my wife this question and she said she had the same answer I did it was like I honestly think it's the people at the table. That um, is that social. There's a little bit of anxiety for some people who are new to it. And then God help you if you're like, oh, I'm going to play, you know, this role-playing game. And then, oh, this table's a half of fucking douchebags and a bunch of idiots and shit are just socially um, not even awkward. It's just there are people who just that, you know, I've gamed with and I'm like, fucking one and done. We'll never play this table again. <laughs> you know, and that's for everyone. And, you know, I've got an aggressive dickhead at personality and I can't imagine like, you know, other people who are just like kind of mellow and shit about it. And they're like, this is my first impression. And this guy is like, my character is, you know, woke up naked and chained and it, I, you know, like the, the, the cyberpunk game that I played in the con. Like, dude literally started off the female fucking character um, basically naked and violated, turning being turned into a doll. And I'm like, too bad, but maybe at a con, or you don't know who's going to be here. <laughs> so, yeah, that could be a first impression for some people. And it was just like, well, fuck, there's this fucking weirdo. Yeah, I mean, if, if, that's, if that's the first game that character tried to play in any role-playing game ever, oh, so. they might never, they might never <laughs> try the hobby again. Right? Yeah. Like, nope. <laughs> and Finder, did you uh, have a definition that you wanted to bring up? You know, I think you. I think what the others have covered already are the big ones for me. Um, yeah. Although the thing that I'm finding in listening to this is, I think there are 
this is like a great time for people that want to get into the hobby mm -hmm. because a lot of these barriers have become much lower. The social barrier of finding people nowadays, go to Roll20, go to Foundry's Discord servers. You can find groups almost anywhere. So now, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, just the thing about that is the ease with which you can find the groups uh -huh. is kind of counterbalanced by the thing that Scott brought up, yeah. right? Well, because yeah, you know, the, here's the funny the, thing. The groups that you find might not be the groups that you want to play with. <laughs> Here's the See, this is where I continue to have the charmed gamer life. Because I wanted to get into a Saturday game. I have now been with that group for over five years. Yeah, I, awesome. I picked up a one-shot with Scott, and I've been playing with Scott now for however many years that's been. Granted, that one shot, there was a big break. <laughs> but somehow we magically found each other again for the Eberron. And yeah. so it's like I, I have had uncanny luck in all of my attempts to find games online because I, every single one that I've hit, I've had no problems with the games. <laughs> so and no, I recognize that I'm a minority in that regard. <laughs> you have been super lucky, super lucky. But I did interrupt you. You had something else that you were going to say. Oh, no, no. That, that, that was basically it. Is that I, I realized I, you were hitting on it. It's like the VTT thing is hit or miss for a lot of people. Now, I will also say that I guess one big barrier is the number of GMs or DMs. And with D&D &D being the most popular, perhaps I've had luck in that I've not been trying to find a D&D &D game. <laughs> So it's like trying to find D and D. Well, well, no, because everything that I hear from D and D players, like on Roll Twenty, on the looking for group, especially if you're looking for a free game, the games mm -hmm. fill up so fast that people are like, "Oh, I can't get into a game. I've been trying and I can't get into a game because the number of DMs to the players is so vast." Yeah. But you, you see an advertisement for a non D and D game or a non Pathfinder game. And those fill up much slower, and so it's easier to get in. And I wonder if that might be why I've had better luck, because also those players or those GMs know that it's harder to fill their game. So I'm not going to do a dick move like start the character out naked and, and violated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's kind of funny, like, hearing you guys, because you you've, you guys have been playing RPGs way longer than I have. Um and I start when I started, like what you guys talked about, like, you know, how socially it's impacted. And for me, I never had that experience because although I've been playing now for over 10 years, I that was never a thing. Like it just it was almost by that point, even before that was before uh, Stranger Things and all that, it was still more acceptable even at that time compared to any other time. When I brought forward this uh, idea for a topic, it was actually because I was looking at uh, Nuetto and L5R, mm -hmm. which are both Neo, like one's a Neo Samurai game, mm -hmm. the other one's a Samurai game. And those ones, I was thinking, setting wise, this is where the barrier for entry is because it is a very specific genre, which is the Samurai style game. And if you don't have any experience with uh, you know, Japanese culture or from the old movies, uh, 
you you'd probably not know much and plus there's just so much etiquette that they expect you to know in the game to properly have it so you have to read through that like i've read all the l5r and if you ask me okay well what side is the sword supposed to be on if you're coming in when you sit down and, put, and you're supposed to be nice and peaceful i'd be like um i think it's the right side but <laughs> Again, it's just like, could you imagine having a GM that and you knew know all that stuff and your players, it's like, okay, where do you put your sword down? Oh, I just put it down next to me. Okay, well, they, they now hate you. Well, <laughs> yeah, so that's, I mean, that, that's, that's a sub-conversation of... Jerk GMs. Yeah, you're, you're, not, you're, not a, you're not a fucking samurai. You will never be a samurai. So there's no way you would ever know what the character knows. But and that even, is a problem at gaming. Yeah, and even in saying that, though, it's just because even how you would run a game, I feel like, would be almost a little bit difficult because you're now just playing as different clans who are getting together. Are you doing like, uh, are you doing a traditional game? Or are you doing one that's more focused on politics or something like that? You kind of have to know how all the interconnected parts work for you to have the real experience of the game. So, uh... I would say that time is probably the second biggest barrier um, to, to mm -hmm. gaming. Uh, and that's part of it, right? Uh, a lot of people feel like they need to know absolutely everything about the setting uh, before they come into a game, uh, or they need to know all the rules, right? Yeah. Like, if I don't know all the rules, then I'm not going to be able to play the game. And uh, some of that is a fallacy, right? Some of that you don't need to know all the rules if you've got the right game master, right? Mm -hmm. You just need to know your character, what your character can do, and who they are, and then we can tell you what to roll. Yeah. Um, but the lore stuff, that's also going to depend a lot on the game that you're in and who's running it, mm -hmm. on how important it is for the players to know how, like, more than they know now, like if they should do research or whatever. And we all know most players don't read anything but the character creation. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. yeah. I, I was actually, I was kind of, cause Jared, you've been playing mo uh, a lot of D and D like for most of your time. Uh, I have and other I, systems. It's just the most. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just wondering for you and your group or your, any of your groups in the past, has even just switching systems or switching for like pickup games has that ever been like almost like dealt with by almost like no i'm not playing anything but xyz uh, that is 100 how my one group is like they will not play anything except D, D. um and usually or at least the first couple of times uh after well so from from third to fourth edition they were like we're not we're not switching we're staying with third <laughs> uh and then of course that that fell through because they they want the new stuff right yeah. um but uh yeah they, they want nothing to do with anything that's not D, &D. Yeah. um and that's just because they don't want to have to learn something new yeah yeah which is so, yeah go ahead I was going to say, it sounds like though what we're, we've kind of shifted because there's barriers to entry for gaming in general, but then there's other barriers of entry once you're within the gaming world. Sure. Right. I mean, yeah. if if you if Jared wanted to branch out into other game systems, 
and he had only this one group, that becomes a barrier because that group does not want to change. And now Jared needs to go out and face those other barriers of finding a new group. Um, and, and part of that problem, I think, is exacerbated by the prevalence of D&D itself. If I go to a bookstore that's not a secondhand bookstore, chances are, if they have any gaming material, it's only going to be D&D, maybe a little bit of Pathfinder. If I am lucky enough to know that there's such a thing as a game store, and I'm even luckier to have one in my area, then I have a few more options available to me. But one of the things that I kind of really miss about, and I, I kind of wish Wizards of the Coast would do this, but it probably would not go with the way that they want. But like back in the 70s and 80s, TSR made more than just Dungeons and Dragons. They produced Boot Hill. They produced Alpha or uh, Metamorphosis Alpha. They produced um, Gamma World. So they had other systems and other settings that people would naturally find if you went to look for D&D because all the TSR books were sold together. And so it was much easier for my group to say, you know what, we're kind of tired of fantasy. Let's try this Star Frontiers game or let's try this Wild West Boot Hill game. And so that barrier to entry to new systems was much lower back in the day for me because it was common to, to have that sort of stuff. Well, I think I think this is like I think like uh, the issue with players not wanting to try different systems like these are all kind of like social aspects. That's why I kind of brought it up since we're talking about social. Um, But I I think it's kind of true what you're saying about how it was a lot easier to swap off. But I think it's also just due to the prevalence of like no matter no matter who you are, I think everyone would agree that fantasy is probably the most sought after and the most played style of tabletop RPGs. Oh, absolutely. It, no, yeah, it's, it's the most prevalent genre. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that before in the past, because there, it was a little bit more loose with, um, you know, games because they didn't have the uh, prestige that they have now, I think is probably the best word to use, but they don't have the, pre- uh, they didn't have the prestige prestige as they have now. So it was a lot easier to say, Hey, you know what? I like this company's product i'm going to try this one or i'm going to try that one well nowadays it's with all the and again this is kind of a social barrier of entry with all the different youtubers out there who focus on fantasy 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 you like magical items it's all there is content of course outside of that but the majority of it is kind of focusing on the fantasy aspect and it almost has created its own barrier of entry for trying out not just different systems but different settings on top of that well dungeon mag or sorry dragon magazine used to actually allow adverts when it was still a thing mm-hmm. um late 70s early 80s they you'd see adverts for um everything white wolf um Talislantia. Yeah. yeah there was a ton of games and then they they really put a they put a lid on that shit um you know because they realized <laughs> but even back in the day even though we had Star Frontiers and Boo Hill and Gangbusters, for instance, and Traveler, and I'm trying to think of some of the earlier top the secret, earlier, top secret, some Gen One games, D and D still dominated the floor. Yeah, it, it, it there was they were never coming close to to the number of player people playing Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons back in the day. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. And then you had Lord of the Rings, and of course, especially in the seventies, late 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 seventies, 
you know, every hippie was reading Lord of the Rings and dancing naked on hate street and shit. And uh, so you have all of that. And Lord of the Rings is sort of that, that gateway into Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Not really sh- sure why they have nothing to do with one another. Well, uh, they, they don't really have nothing to do with one another yeah. because Lord of the Rings is one of the largest inspirations for Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. In fact, they originally called halflings hobbits until, they sure did. until, uh, the Tolkien estate was like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> well, technically, Gary Gygax says that uh, Lord of the Rings was never an influence. He didn't like Lord of the Rings. However, that also came about right about the time of a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Very convenient that I still hate this shit. Um, but did you guys know that uh, Dungeons & Dragons wasn't the first role-playing game that uh, Wizards of the Coast tried to put out? Uh-oh. I... No. I learned that I learned that recently. I can't remember the name of the one that they started with, but let me let me let me do a they, quick Google search. So they had Chainmail and they tried moving from Chainmail into D&D. And so when you had the original the original No, no, Brown, not not TSR, Wizards of the Coast. Oh, Wizards. Oh, oh um Didn't you send me that one? Yeah, it was uh oh, some bitch. I bet I have it in my Dropbox actually. Uh, or uh, some scant. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Is that the one that you sent? Well, you. I might about? have. Yeah. I cannot remember the name of that friggin' game, and I know what you're talking about. Oh my god, uh, it predates that too. Oh, some bitch. This is gonna. This is like you know, this, yeah. When I couldn't think of the Power of the Apocalypse <laughs> Cyberpunk game, it's the Sprawl. Fucking two weeks later, it was like, oh yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, we were talking about that. Oh. Oh, one of my favorite games. <laughs> the sprawl, yeah, the sprawl was cool. Um, well, while Jared's looking up with that, unless yeah, you yeah. found it, uh, I was also wanting to mention about how, because we were talking about mechanics, and there are some games that the barrier for entry is. The freaking mechanics because 100%. there are some games out there like uh i saw this one one thing on uh it was on reddit it was on the rpg subreddit it was um how palladium is the best game that no one ever plays or Ooh, um, that's yeah, false or, i mean it's the, it's the it's the best game that no one ever plays that system's fucking garbage <laughs> so really I, sure. I, think was, I think it was refer, referring uh referring more to uh riffs uh, the Palladium also rules. fucking garbage yeah. because it also <laughs> uses the Palladium system. <laughs> Just because you put skeleton fucking cyborgs in it and dragons with lasers, that doesn't change the system. <laughs> so uh, I won't say that Palladium is the best game, but there's also a lot worse. Hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely not at the bottom rung. Wow. Uh, and for a while, they might have been the best superhero game. They're Heroes Unlimited. Yeah. Um, but uh, that when when the hit superhero genre started hitting big and people started actually paying attention to it and making stuff, there's a lot better superhero games now. Yeah, because yeah. I heard Champions was probably Champions was or was it it, Champion. If you want some. <laughs> If you yeah. want some 36-hour character creation and 1,000-point spins and knowing yeah, every fucking fun. detail of your character, Champions is the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I remember I was looking at that bundle for a while, Scott, and I remember you were just saying to me, it's like, yeah, don't get it. I mean, you, you get it. Some people like that kind of... Some people need an 800 rule book to tell them exactly how many fucking inches and millimeters 
they'll levitate gravity. I'm not that. I'm not that bitch. Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I'd glaze over. Way I can use world in peril from and have a great super <laughs> game or masks. I was describing masks to my wife tonight, and she was like, "This sounds like you'd really enjoy that game." Actually, I was like, "Yeah, while well, you're bullshitting, it does sound like I do kind of want to play." And <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of funny though, because I was trying to think of like for barriers of entry, how to make them easier. But some of them, it's not really a thing you can try and ease yeah. off of. Like mechanically, yeah, okay, some games are just crunchy as fuck. Yeah. You can't really we're passive but fifteen even, seconds. Yeah. Even even for those ones though, um a lot of the barrier is in the head of the person that the barrier is there. Like yeah. uh unless you're the one running the game, you don't have to be a master of the mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, unless you're playing with a bunch of jerks who are like, hurry the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It can happen. <laughs> yeah, you mean? <laughs> I, I think. I think actually, mechanically, there is one way how you could solve a very crunchy system, and that is having a very computer literate friend who is really good at running, working with VTTs, and to pretty much have him set all that up so the computer does the all all the work. In that case, champions could probably champions and what's the other system that the hero system or? Yeah. Yeah, I think those ones then could be like, wow, these are some amazing games, as long as everything's automated. Oh, Palladium's not that crunchy. It's just garbage. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's a system I cannot stand. Um, I, and I played, like, years of TMNT because that was a legit fucking cool game because of the, how you created your mutants. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm like... But Jared's right. Like, all you gotta do is kind of take a breath, count to 10, and hopefully the group would be like, hey, just roll this and this. You know, we used to color code char character sheets for D&D &D and have different colored dice, so you'd know, like, oh, well, this, you know, this orange piece here tells you what your bonus to hit is, and that matches your D20 orange. Uh, here's your damage die as a red. Roll that one. And so it was a little bit easier. And also one of our dudes was, uh, like, severely dyslexic, and so it really helped him focus and kind of, like, not freak out about, like, oh, shit, you know, you got a little bit of anxiety kicking in right now, and I, he was really able to just sort of like ease off of it, but yeah, there's some games I like. If Rollmaster is your first role playing game, oh man, <laughs> oh man, first I mean, it's a hard one to find. <laughs> yeah, everyone has to learn. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you've well, never if you've never pretended to be a fucking elf with a bunch of other dorks, it. <laughs> that might be a rough. One. You know, uh, thinking about this though, I think. <laughs> There's a couple things that I want to address. One is knowing the rules. I think there is a common misconception that the person who GMs must know all of the rules. Oh, man. And if they don't, then you can't play it until they do. And I don't know of anybody that's ever known all the rules. Bro. And you, you kind of make things up as you go along at some point. And then you're like, you know what? Oh, there's a rule. I remember reading about a rule for this. Let me find it. And you flip through a book. And eventually you get to, okay, we're just going to do it this way. And I'll look the rule up again and we'll run it differently next time. Right. So GMs don't need to know the rule. I think the bigger barrier is finding somebody who's willing to be the GM. Yeah. But the way to get over that is use the GM emulator. Which, uh, go ahead, Jared. 
I was just going to say, I think there is a threshold of rules knowledge that you need for a GM. Agreed. You, you can't be like completely clueless about the system and be like, yeah, I'll GM. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree with that. Although I think that barrier isn't as high as people imagine it has to be. I would 100% agree. Yeah. I also agree, but I will tell you, I spent three and a half hours this morning between doing shit, checking a Twitter fucking drama and a YouTube drama about this very fucking topic and it was hilarious holy shit because <laughs> i would say there are people who vehemently fucking disagree with that statement and they're the problem and it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even reply i was just like i just need to watch this uh, i i will say that it's a little bit different if the person doing the gming is charging for it Oof. Yes. If, you're, I, I agree if, you're, with that. if you're charging me money to GM my game and yeah. you got to look up a rule. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. It, it, well, and you know, I find that most games, the rules that you really need to know would be combat. Most of the social interaction stuff is where the role play comes in. And I think most GMs, are fairly loose with that. There may be a time when you're like, okay, I need to make a, we need to make a role here or whatever. But by and large, as kids, we played cops and robbers or whatever it is, and there were no rules, and we all just kind of did what felt right, and most people agreed with that. Mm -hmm. but, and I think but, a lot of that still applies to gaming. Until, you know, it uh, got to the point where it's like, I shot you. No, I shot you first. Yeah. No, I shot you first. <laughs> and that's why you need more combat rules. <laughs> oh, man. Well, and I think I, I I think actually because of these the more mechanically in depth games is the reason why we actually started getting the rules late ones. Like I I've I ran Dungeon World on Friday. I'll talk about it, Scott, don't worry. But like there's times where it's like there's nothing in the rules that say they can't do what they want to do, but it also doesn't ha ha say that it can. Like for instance, it's like uh so my group was fighting in a narrow hallway, right? And there's a bunch of kerfuffle and everything like that. But through all, all this, I'm just going to say that one of the players got tripped one of the other players on purpose because, um, yeah, I'll explain it to you later, Scott. Don't worry. At the end of this episode, I think you're still <laughs> muted. Yeah, okay. Um, and so she fell in front of a bunch of zombies. And she, she, I was like, okay, I want you to defy danger. Yeah, and she's like, she's like, well, how do I do that? I was like, well, how do you want to do it? She's like, well, she's a druid. She's like, can I polymorph? I was like, yeah, if you if you think you can think of a way to get out of it by polymorphing, sure. sure. How do you want to do it? So she does it, and she rolls, and she gets a partial success. Mm. And so she didn't. She's like, so what happens at a partial success? I was like, oh, you avoided it, but yeah. uh, you know they're still on you. And for some reason, your polymorph didn't work out because it was quick fast of the moment didn't work out exactly how you planned and she's like oh i was like so instead of turning into um and in, in, i forget what it was that she wanted to instead of turning into what you wanted uh you actually turned yourself into a smallmouth bass oh and it was hilarious because like and it yeah. it and it just how it played out afterwards is one of the players went to try and grab the fish person and it just it, it 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 just it got so ridiculous it was hilarious though everyone had a great time that's the nice. important part i will tell you the story though later awesome. so uh you said something that uh sort of tickled something in my brain and mm. you said 
the rules didn't say you can't. <laughs> rules almost never say you can't, right? Yeah. Like there's never, there's almost never rules about what you're not allowed to do, right? Yeah. That no, that's that's definitely true. Mm -hmm. Which I think gets into a problem that I see a lot, which is GMs being afraid to adjudicate in those ambiguous situations. I see constant messages of, well, how does what what would you all say about this scenario? Because the rules say this, but it could be interpreted both ways. You're the GM. You're the one that interprets how that's supposed to go. Yep. Can they yep. do this? Does it make sense in this game sure. for your character to be able to jump that chasm? If not, well, if I roll high enough, I don't care if you roll high enough. Come on. In certain situations, you're not a superhuman. You're an elf trying to jump a 100-yard ch chasm. You're not going to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that's where common sense comes into play, but, but people that's want when to you, use the mechanics. To that's when it. you've got to ask, well, is there magic involved? Are, exactly. Are, are they are they wearing boots of striding and springing? Are they exactly. using a jump spell or right? Because yeah. then yeah. that changes that changes whether or not that's plausible. The, exactly. It, that's exactly right. Although I see a lot of times where people get into this whole debate about, well, the magic description says this. It can be adjudicate. Come on, Jim, just do your job. And that's why you're the DM or the GM. Just make a ruling and move on. And if you, if you think it sounds cool, go for it. Yeah. I mean, it's nobody else's game. Nobody else has to agree with you. Except for your players who, of course, you want to have fun with. So <laughs> um, as long as your table's having a good time, I've got no problems with people making a ruling that I personally would disagree with as a GM. So I, I think that uh, that particular issue is because of a couple things, uh, or actually it's because of one thing, but I think it's more prominent in D&D &D because of what the thing is. Um, and that's because the game is so popular, there's a sense of, well, if most people are doing it this way, that's got to be the right way, yeah. right? And nobody wants to be doing things the wrong way. Um, they, they want to make sure they're, they're, they're playing the game correctly. And I think that's where those come from. Uh, and, uh, what we need to do is we need to let, we need to have a, uh, a bigger, um, I don't know, announcement or, uh, movement in our culture, uh, to say that, there's more than one right way to play each role-playing game. Yeah. And the right way to play the goal game in your group is the way that everybody's having the most fun. Yep. So all DMs and GMs out there, you are empowered to do it your way. Never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Reddit will fill up, so will Facebook. <laughs> well, I mean, that uh, that's another thing. For some people... <laughs> The way that's the most fun is the way that's as strictly as adhering to the rules yeah. as possible. Yep. So you're always going to have those people uh, where they're going to have those debates and arguments. Yep. Um, even if we get the message out to everybody that, you know, there's not necessarily a right and a wrong way to adju uh, adjudicate, adjudicate every single situation. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a little bit about mechanically. Uh, we've talked a bit about socially. 
we we kind of touched on this one a little bit, but I think it depends when it comes to the monetary aspect. I would agree that tabletop RPGs are one of the cheapest hobbies that you can do with a group of people. But when it comes to the other side of the tabletop, when it comes to uh, either people who like elaborate boards or war gamers, I think that's where all of a sudden cost of entry starts going up quite dramatically. Well, if you're already a war gamer, though, <laughs> you've probably but, got stuff that you can just transfer over, and that's not—it's yeah. not a cost of entry into the uh, tabletop RPG. No, no, that is definitely true. But if you're a war gamer, if you want to become a war gamer, that's not tabletop RPGs. No, but actually, <laughs> I didn't even think of this aspect. It was actually Finder who brought up how. Uh, war games should be included in this conversation just because it is a tabletop thing. Yeah, it wasn't even me. I was going to keep it. Although I will say, the, the barrier to entry there, like you said, is the cost. But the question becomes, how strictly do you need to adhere to the prescribed models? So, for example, if I wanted to play Warhammer, could I pick up the Warhammer rules and just use the Legos that I have laying around to make my army if the people I'm playing with are okay with that? Because then that cost isn't as expensive. It's only when I feel the need to pay for the official <laughs> minis that represent the armies. Oh, you see the price of Lego nowadays? Well, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> I mean, you could even 3D print your own stuff if you've got a 3D yeah. printer. Yeah, yep. exactly. Even if uh, Games Workshop doesn't like that idea. <laughs> no, they do not. And even on that one... <laughs> I mean, like They've they've got no say in the matter unless I'm bringing them to a tournament. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's the thing people need to remember. It goes back to that: Am I allowed to do this? Yes, you are. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of funny because most people think, "Oh, I got to get Warhammer. I got to I, I got to get the minis, and either you use a 3D printer, which again costly, of course, going down, or you buy the minis, which are expensive, but, and they don't think about the alternatives. Like we were mentioning the big tabletop RPG games. And how a lot of them have a lot of supplements and it can rack up the cost. It's the same mm -hmm. thing on the war game side, where it's like if you go with the big company company, there's not really more than one. Um, which is uh 40k you're not or games workshop. <laughs> it's the only way you're gonna find a game too, on top of it. But yeah, either for much... that, they can be cheap. So what's the average arm uh like I know uh, the armies are at point cost. What's the average army point cost for like a generic tournament game like if you're are you talking about cost per point yeah like is it 500 point army 1000 point army what is the well, average 2000 point army is okay. usually is it's considered the standard army that's okay. what they recommend playing okay. um depending on what faction because if you're doing something like um uh what are they called what are the what are the go what are the golden boys i forget their name uh. Uh, for the emperor, I don't know. Uh, the custodes. Okay. Custodies. Uh, if you're going with custodies, you have way less model count, but it's still you're going to be spending five hundred plus bucks probably for a two thousand point army. Okay, is that about average across all of them? No, because if you go with guards, that that can jack up even higher. It, oh. yeah, because like guards, it's like okay, well you have a squad of ten that you bought. Okay, that's 50 bucks. How many points is that worth? Well, that one right there is worth eight, like 80 points. That's where, right. yeah. So, and I, and I also know to some degree, 
they're like the different armies are considered better or worse. Oh yeah, and it, it all depends on when they when they were released. So, um, and yeah. my question is, do the ones that are considered better cost more? Is is Warhammer 40k a pay to win game? <laughs> oh, 100%, 100%. That's good. That's that that's why they um that's why when it comes to competitions, generally um they're 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 not trying to go for the casual gamers. That's why they don't even consider themselves uh, they consider themselves uh, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not just like a hobby, but a lifestyle, a luxury, a luxury hobby. That's no, they consider it a luxury hobby, and that's why they charge so much for the. And I'm not even kidding. This is actually what they consider themselves is a luxury hobby. Mm -hmm. And if you can't afford it, well, it's not. Bec it's because it's a luxury product. You, you, sh you know, you pay the premium. I'm and I'm not even shitting you. This I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's what they're that they they put out. It's just. Fucking yeah. crazy. Um, and then I know for I don't know if this is still the same, but uh, back in the day, you used to have to abide by official army colors. You couldn't just deviate, have like hot they, pink and hot fuchsia army men out there. They they that was gone, and then they started bringing it back because they're like, especially tournament wise, because they're like, hey, you know, your colors have to match, and that way they can also say, hey, your army can't be. Uh, you know, you can't have this army being these guys because your color is red and not blue. Yeah. So, uh, ultramarines and angels. You know, that brings up a barrier to entry for me, which is, I mean, cost aside, I would have a hard time paying 500 bucks for a 2,000-point army. <laughs> just, that, that to me is ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, my, my problem is I, I have no idea what it's, how to paint minis. Right now, I have uh, I, I bought the remake of the Dark Tower board game, and I have not played it yet because I haven't painted the minis. And I, I <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it's such a cool looking game. I want to play it's it. But, a fucking game. Who uh, cares if the dolls are painted? Yeah, or not? <laughs> my 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 solution to that is to not paint the minis. Uh, <laughs> I play with unpainted minis all the time. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> And but I that, that's like that gets back to the uh, the problem that I was having with Scott, where or I was mentioning to Scott, I'm setting up a module for Forbidden Lands, and I'm having to custom HTML code the stuff because I want the stuff that I'm making to look like the official stuff. Nobody's going to see it but me, but I, I've got that aesthetic that I want to maintain, and it's just my stupid personality quirk that says. Yeah, if you're gonna do this, do it right. <laughs> also, I lied. I just googled it. Eight hundred and fifteen dollars average. US. God, U.S. Damn. I know, I know. Me, me, and Jared over here on the Canadian side, we're just oh, like, yeah, that, that's no, no, no. yeah, yeah. That's that would probably that's like a grand or so. Like, fuck. fuck. Thank God my barrier to entry for fucking war gaming is uh, interest. So yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just it there's some like there's some that are really fun but also cheap like everyone thinks 40k when they think of the gaming which is almost the very entry for that one is just the fact that most of them are not visible enough really to be considered popular like you look at games like malifo which has amazing lore uh a very 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 mediocre uh rpg uh but their war game, like their game itself, it's a skirmish game, and you 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 can play it with a hundred bucks. Or and, uh, for a little while, um, Games Workshop did have a bit of a competitor in WizKids. 
Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and also, uh, and this is the this one. They're not even nice. Uh, and... So that's that's for Mech Warrior from Wizkids. Oh, mm. nice. And yeah, battle like BattleTech itself under a hundred bucks. You also get sheets. You get eight units, which you only need four for uh, per side to have a team. Um, but yeah, there's like so many different ones out there that are. A hundred under a hundred bucks, or who just don't care about the rule about having the appropriate minis. And I'd be surprised if Heroclix wasn't still going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, and then and then you need terrain, right? Yeah. I've never seen a war game go down without terrain. Yeah, I we I use I we started with popsicles, popsicle popsicle oh, sticks and red solo cups. Fuck that! Um, I mean, why bother painting your models at that point? I, I want to figure models and die. And most people will be amazed by this, but at one point, Games Workshop wasn't actually the biggest war game uh, company. At one point, they were toe to toe, and they actually eked ahead for a little while. Privateer Press, which well, yeah, but nowadays they're almost non-existent I mean, in the scene. They kind of killed themselves with uh, an edition swap. Yep. Was was TSR ever the premier war game company? No, it might no. have been. Actually, Games Workshop used to actually sell and produce the products for uh, for TSR when they first were la- launched. They were handling all the UK sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and before yeah. that, they were making checkerboards. I think because TSR used to also like Ralph Partha was really big on the mini side for all their shit and Grenadier. This is also a little bit of a history lesson episode. It really is, yeah. <laughs> it was really sad for Rich and I. I'm not sure about Jared, but I remember being a kid and looking down at the box of the official AD&D fucking miniatures in the Ralph Partha box. Yeah, well, old my brother would box. would buy the the pewter, yeah, minis, and he painted them, and I I was always impressed with his stuff and and. Uh, he had to stop painting them on the kitchen counter because my grandma drank the turpentine one time. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, this water tastes funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've actually painted a few uh, Peter models and they're a lot harder than the ones nowadays. Like, just for prep-wise. Yeah, I remember the Peter minis for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I, I got a couple from... Privateer Press, ironically enough. Uh, and they're really like Pewter, it, it's a honestly, I think it was even more enjoyable to paint. Uh, I don't know if it was for the weight or whatnot, but they were really, really enjoyable to paint. But goddamn that prep, because if you get any oils from your hands on that pewter before you do the base spray, uh, that paint's going to lift right off. You have to clean off those things, wear gloves, do the gluing, clean it off, and then get it ready for spraying. It was like a day labor worth of work. <laughs> um, yeah. While we're back on history, the Primal Order, I think, is what the first Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. uh, RPG was called. That does. Is that but, it? Yeah. yeah, so, funny. yeah, I kind of noticed, Scott, you're... You, you when you said you know it's kind of sad, I was kind of looking at you. It's like you kind of do look like you're almost a little sad at this it's moment. Nostalgia lane when we had hobby stores and shit that actually carried all yeah. the shit. The di- yeah. dice, like I still have the first set of dice that I ever played Dungeons and Dragons with, 
and they're in a box um and they'll never be used again but they're i don't know from fucking 80 82 81 whenever they were actually produced yeah uh i use other corners (laughs) they're the round you know the old school when they were really round and stuff right because the zaki dice weren't a thing um i don't even know what brand they are uh, I've got my original set of dice too, but they're in my nice. loner set in a dice bag. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nah, mine are probably in the dice bag of shame. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you need to borrow some dice here? Some geriatric dice for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're all super. You know, like, so now I roll like, you know, the heavy glass dice and the, um, well, mostly just my glass, not my zircon dice now. Those giant ones, but metal dice. The plastic ones are just like, holy shit, there's no weight to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember the last time I had to roll physical dice when I was role-playing. Yeah. Yeah, true statement. When I run test <laughs> games with myself, I'll roll the dice physically. But I even stopped that. Now I'm doing VTT work. You know, the thing that I always used to enjoy about the old dice, though, is having to get out the crayon and color in the numbers, and especially the D20 when you had to color two different colors for each of the sides. Yeah. So yeah. you knew if it was a 1 or a, a 10. Right. <laughs> or, or I just <laughs> Like super dope old school, man. That's, yeah. that's the original dice used to come yeah. in the D&D box set, and then um, um, fuck, Merp dice were like that as well. So uh, the last time I went to Gen Con, which was like a decade ago now, um, I bought a set of blank dice and then oh, I nice. used like a Dremel to put in the numbers myself. Cool. Uh, and then filled those in. That was, that was kind of fun. Nice. Uh, I messed up on the D4 though. Uh-oh. So uh, every, oh, no. ev- every single part of the D4, uh, has a line to show what's, what's the bottom. Oh. <laughs> like the three <laughs> is sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a butt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's kind of funny because, r- r- like, I have a new group. You know what's the biggest thing that they currently bitch about? How much they hate rolling d4s. Get better d4s, though. We you yeah. we, we live in a golden era where there are so I'm many different spent. styles of d4s yep. that yeah. you don't have to have that freaking pyramid-looking thing. Oh, but most of these people, it's their first. It's their first dice set, so they don't like. I mentioned it was like, oh, there's different ones, but they're like, oh, I didn't see any though. They're all these ones because to them, that's all, that's all they know. Because yeah, that's common. because you don't have a hobby store anymore where you can go and buy dice. We right? do. It's just on the other side of the city. I mean, you could if we we could probably create something on the internet where like you could order shit. I bet that'd do really <laughs> well, actually. We yeah, could call it, like and... Brazil or like Chessex, <laughs> Amazon. We call it right. for maybe something place big. Uh, I think Amazon Amazon already exists. It's just a bookstore. Well, I was going to bring that up uh, earlier when uh, Finder was saying that it's hard to find the books for some of the other things that aren't D and D when you're searching for RPGs. Yeah. I was I was thinking to myself, uh, if I put RPG that's not D and D into into a search engine, I'm pretty sure I can find some uh, some books for sale. Oh, everywhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Although, what I mean is like shelf space in, in physical stores. That's that's all D&D anymore. Absolutely. But you're, but you're absolutely right. Um, Amazon, time, you can find it. Yeah. Last time I was in my shop, they actually said, 
they're going to be stocking because they have more interest now than they ever have before on different systems mm, at least was, <laughs> and so that ends in 2024 believe me did, did you ask them to get dark darker uh no that was that was before then but uh <laughs> the owner is a huge uh fan of her own rook and deckard so they're getting more of that product yeah. uh they're getting more pbtas they're getting uh mm. they pretty much want to supply the stock more broadly um mm. because even they like when talking with them they're like we actually have noticed over the years a dip in uh sales for wizards and it's people have been looking for different things and because we have that section that is you know just into like non D D games people actually tend to go in there just to look to see what what interests them and i was like oh so sure sure huh? like i've had one of my games sold at a bookstore in france so there are definitely shelf space. <laughs> was it Oubliette? No, it was uh, Neon Blood. Someone sent me a photo, and the guy was like, hey, I just picked this up in a bookstore in some someplace in fucking Fran Paris. I was like, get the fuck out. <laughs> Had it been translated into French? <laughs> no. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's why I'm asking, though, if somebody... Unofficially translated into French and didn't oh, tell maybe, you. Maybe, maybe. Fuck, I'm, I'm, I was inspired to cry about that shit. I'm missing all the millions of French role players. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But yeah, again, let your uh, let your buddy know in the bookstore that uh, I'm glad he's reached. He's, he's he's branching out, but all that branching out will come crashing down in 2024, regardless of what anyone says. That's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, going to happen. You, you also said that, that that their movie was going to kill, and it flopped. It flopped financially, but people who saw it really loved it. So that's two different things. Even the critics loved it, though. 100%. The viewers loved it. Critics loved it. People who hate, who like to shit on D&D all the time like that movie. Um, they overlooked everything because it had member berries in it. And it was actually not that poorly <laughs> done. Um, so I don't look at the financials of some of the things because lots of companies make really shitty financial decisions, but they have a calculated risk. So, you know. And, and uh, uh, a lot of the most popular things there are out there started out as, you know, mm -hmm. movies that flopped. 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm like two weeks away from fucking Fast and Furious uh, 10. So let me know how that's working out for fucking I, everyone in their I haven't watched. Oh, I, I, you know what? I was thinking of trying to watch the new Fast and Furious movies, but I stopped watching after like the third one, and I, I just know I would be lost. That's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> imagine it's imagine it's a Savage World setting, and then you'd be like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. <laughs> Especially yeah. in, when they go to space. Well, no they, they know what they're doing. They're making a fun movie. They're not trying to do anything. Yeah. Revolutionary, right? Which... They're not making money off of it, and they're paying big name stars to be in it and shit. So, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm just being honest. This hobby, it, it, everyone is already starting to go back on Watsy's fucking side now. All these big YouTubers who cried like bitches about oh my god, my OGL, <laughs> that, I, my OGL that I don't actually participate in because all I do is make videos, which I get is a whole conversation about them making money, but they're all already back on the Watsy bandwagon. They all were uh, super happy. It's when when the new D and D version comes out, it's going to fucking kill. It always does. There were a couple I thought that went to like their big summit thing that Me came too. back and were like, "I'm 
I'm done with D&D now, though. Yeah, there are a couple who are playing Pathfinder 2nd Edition as a branch out now. Um, uh, DM's Lair is getting ready to change over to GM's Lair, but you, everyone knows how fickle human beings are, especially when it comes to brand loyalty and brand recognition, and it, it's just... It's how humanity is. Yep. That you the new edition of D and D is going to fucking kill it in the sales. I'm going to buy the fucking books because I want to have the new edition of D and D that I will never fucking play. Well, and, and it's probably make content for. Hundred percent, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing is, even if you're going to shit on it, because like I said, those people who are crying, like I'm playing Pathfinder. But if you want to support me on my Patreon, I have a fifth edition adventure. I was like, you fucking <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> brand wrecking, what was it? Brand loyalty is a massive thing. You you can look at console wars, which again, it's it's like video games, and you don't really have to worry about. Look at people who love their trucks. I'm sorry, but talk to a Ford brand guy about Chevy Ford. and a Chevy guy about Ford, and they're all wrong because Toyota is just the better right. one. But still. There's, there's fucking cola wars. Yeah, yeah. right. Pepsi that was big. Coke. <laughs> I know. It was it's a beverage. It's so, the thing that you need to remember those there's like two sides to that right you have the youtuber and their brand loyalty versus their consumers brand loyalty right because if i as a person i'm this youtube creator and i'm moving away from dnd because they've lost my brand loyalty yeah. i may now start losing subscribers because yeah. they have not lost their brand loyalty mm -hmm. to dnd at that point where is my brand loyalty? Do I shift it back to D&D? Maybe. No. <laughs> it depends well, on how much money I'm losing doing that. And, and this is and how much you're dependent on that income. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we this the, uh, I was going to say this is why I'm super excited for Critical Role to be launching their game because this is going to be very very interesting cuz there's a lot of people who have been introduced to D&D through Critical Role and I'm wondering which which brand loyalty will they go with? Are they going to go with Critical Role, who introduced them to the hobby of tabletop RPGs in general? Or are they going to go with Wizards of the Coast, the, the game that they've been uh, mostly playing over the past, I don't even know. Now, years now. quick question, though. This is the question that I think we don't know the answer to. That is, uh -huh. how many people of Critical Role's fans were brought to the industry because of Critical Role versus how many of their fans found critical role because of their love of the mm. hobby already. Yeah. And th that's that's a big question because there's a lot of people who've gotten into it from watching yeah. Critical Role. Also, Critical Role in their press release said three things. They didn't say a fourth thing. They never said they're not playing D&D. Right. This is not true. once. Not once true. did they ever say those words. Uh, they, and I and I, I I also think even if they do start playing D&D in Critical Role, like uh, stop playing D&D and they start playing their, their new thing. Uh, I do think what the new game looks like and plays like is going to have a big impact mm -hmm. on yeah. how many people who currently play D&D move over. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today and I thought it would be a fun and interesting experiment to play the exact same adventure under two different rule sets to see how it feels like take take your traditional 5e adventure and play it in and i have done this and i, mm -hmm. I still prefer savage worlds for some of the old school DD modules because to me it's it's a it's a better experience but it'd be interesting to see 
a YouTube channel do that almost side by side so that viewers could see what impact a system has on the story you're telling. I, I think, though, that you'd have to have a group of role players that yeah. are able to not bring their personal biases yeah. about mm -hmm. systems yeah. into Agreed. things. Agreed. And that, well, that's tough. And you'd have to do the same exact thing in both systems. Like, well, your, your thief picked this lock and didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to go beat for beat. Yeah, it would be extremely I, difficult to actually do that because whoever plays the second like the second time around if it's the same people in order to yeah. kind of lower down the amount of variables you still have those variables of them just knowing how to do everything which might make it a lot more easier or they might just follow the beats and just do off of what they already wanted to do it, I, I think that it's a cool experiment but i think it's yeah. one that would probably be I, although i'm gonna say i don't know that i agree completely that it would have to be beat for beat because the 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 rules themselves may lend to a different story experience. For example, D&D, &D, you have a static initiative order, whereas in Savage Worlds, that initiative order changes every single round. And that in itself is going to change the dynamics of the combat. Yeah. Uh, and it, it would be really hard to do things beat for beat, even if you were trying to, because if in one system, when they were trying to pick that lock, they made the roll, and then the yeah. other system, they failed it, well, yeah. now you've got some serious divergence. Well, so that's you need part people of like me that fails every role anyway. Well, but that's part of Rich's experiment, right? Because in Savage Worlds, my chances of failing a role are lower than D and D because I have yeah. Bennies, and in D and D, I just don't have that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that would be real. That would be, I think, to Rich's point, would be the tell of like, oh, here's here's where the systems stack up um, up and down. I don't know, we should do that because I, I have I, that too. I think it would be more interesting to do it on. Um, let's say D and D or a more tactical kind of game versus a narrative game. Oh, I thought you're like, oh, you meant something. I was like, D and D is tactical. No, I know, but I meant like do do the same same thing, but do uh -huh. do one that's purely narrative, and then uh -huh. do one that's a uh, table, and we actually see this. how see how they actually play out. Yeah, we could do this easy. Uh, I mean, whatever channel could do it, could do it. Because like the one thing I've actually and. I think with this is kind of almost something I've kind of learned uh, from like running a game is when you're playing a game that's tactical, I think it's a little bit easier for all the players to get into the game originally. And with narrative, it's harder for the people to get into the game initially, but I think they they grow more attached to the setting as it goes on. Because my group was saying how at first, it was a little awkward, and before I had a whiteboard, which they used in order to, like, you know, track their movements and everything like that. But now that we've done four, or f was it, three three or four sessions, um, they even said, it's like, yeah, compared to when we started, like, I don't need the board for anything now, because they're all just, they're in the motions of explaining what they're doing. They don't care about where exactly they are, all, like, close to them. It's like, are you close to the person? Yeah. Are you behind the person? Yeah. Or no. Like they just they just need the generalizations, and then they play off of what everyone else has been doing. I feel like Palpatine right now. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You, you, I I even said I wasn't a huge fan of Dungeon World, and now that I'm running it, I love fucking Dungeon World. And shut up, shut up, shut up. Take your imagination and strike me down. With it. <laughs> 
So wait, we've already ascertained, or we've already determined that gamers don't have imagination anymore. <laughs> so I, I almost now want to, you know, have somebody create a channel where the entire purpose is they take the same adventure and run the same people through it in system after system after system oh after God. system. All right, let's do these one shots. There's a no system is out there to keep that going for a really long time. That's a, with yeah. just one module. Well, that would be awesome. I can see on our Discord that someone somehow magically put something called pickup games on the text channels. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm actually might be joining a fucking Dungeon World game on fucking Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, I need a. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> spent a lot of time with ChatGPT today working on uh, some things for, for Dungeon World. <laughs> So, we're hitting about the hour mark. We have... Mm. And we've gone way off topic. (laughs) Oh, I I don't know that we have, because a lot of the things that we've been talking about are realistically barriers to... Mm -hmm. Because the thing that uh, Rich was just... uh, Sorry. um, I don't know why I called you Rich. Um, (laughs) That is my name. I was talking about about Santa. Oh, oh, (laughs) God. Okay, yeah, now it's off. The thing that Santa was just saying about his players finding it awkward at first in the very narrative thing, uh, I think that is one of the other barriers that we didn't really talk about a lot, uh, which is the perception that you've got to be an actor to to play in a role-playing game. That's a good point. No, that that is actually a huge point, especially like one of the people who is in my group... uh, their first language is not English. Mm. Uh, and they haven't been in Canada for like, you know, 15 plus years. They've, of course, I, I'm not too sure how long, so I don't want to say, but I think it's been under 10 years that they've been here. And and they do have an accent. And because they're a first language, uh, sometimes I've even used words where afterwards I'm like, I say a word. I remember there's once where I said a word and she was like, uh, what, what does that mean? And so I said another word, which again, without thinking and she just looked at me and i was like i'm pretty sure it was like i went from like uh it was two different motions and i feel like the second word that i used was morose and she was like i i still don't know what that means i'm like yeah no i and i remember it came out of my came out of my lips and i just stopped for a second like no no fuck man yeah well idiomatic (laughs) expressions are a killer for learning to speak foreign languages too, because they don't make any sense when you hear them outside of your native tongue. Like, you know, I got run over by a car. The car literally can't run me over, right? But when, <laughs> when you hear it, ah, there you go, Rich, I did it. Um, when you, uh, but when you hear it, you're like, oh, in English, you know what it means. But for like in Russian, for instance, like that makes no fucking sense because that the, yeah. the, the, the verb's not the same. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because it's even like in, uh, uh, in French that you... There is no no proper sentence that you can have that is like, hey, can I catch a ride with you? Oh. You can't say that in French. In fact, it's so much so that my one of my prof- teachers when I was in high school, uh, I went to a French school, by the way, um, he he actually brought this up and he's like, no, you just say, esque je bavol and ride. Just because that's the easiest way to say it. And so it's just kind of become like, in, he said in, in Montreal, that's just what most people say. Yeah, sure. But like what like Jerry was saying is the other people who think that, yeah, you're going to, there are people who think you got to do critical role and that for, on good and bad, yeah. 
you know, on that. And then there are people who, um, I, I'm still trying to, I, I, this is just a study I want to do at some point is the first person versus the third person. Um, I still haven't nailed down as to the why some people do it. There's a few theories, but it's just really interesting. And some people aren't comfortable and you, you can tell it's like, well, this character would do this or and then, and a lot of times the more relaxed you get, it becomes the first person, uh, perspective of things. Yep. But yeah. Well, yeah. and like, I don't do funny voices. Oh yeah. I, I it, it's hard for me to do voices. Uh, I, I may occasionally slip into one for certain characters, but by and large, I don't like doing voices. And, and part of that is I just don't feel comfortable doing it. What are you yeah, talking but, about? The one you're doing right now is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, what I've, it's what I've practiced for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> so, God damn it. But, you know, but I mean, and that's something I think you, you watch Critical Role, you see Matt Mercer and the DMs are like, oh, I've got to have a different voice for every character. Oh, yeah. Not really. Yeah. He's also a voice actor. Yeah. So. Exactly. I, I do find that it can be very impactful if you don't normally do voices for NPCs, if yeah. you want to really highlight an NPC yeah. and give them even just the tiniest change in the way that you normally speak, it really makes the 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 players go, oh, there's there's something different yeah. here. Right. Yeah. Well, in my game on Friday, I was playing Forbidden Lands with my kids, and they're interacting with this orc, and the way the book talks about orcs, especially male orcs, is they got these large tusks, and it's hard for them to speak legibly for their characters. They said, if you wanted to simulate it, just hook your fingers in your lower lip and try and talk. And so whenever they were talking with him, that's what I did. I thought, he says this. And they're like, wait, what? What did he say? Did did he say what? (laughs) And it was a really uh, funny experience, but I only did that for that one character. Uh, because of the way that he was and it was fun but but generally i don't do that sort of stuff that's actually a really neat tip actually um but uh since we are getting to about an hour and whatnot should we do should we get our ass kicked by jared on this (laughs) (laughs) delete that post i gave you Last time I last time I failed the one question I got. Sure, I knew what all the rest of you knew your questions, but I failed the one I got. <laughs> That's just the worst part. <laughs> oh, uh, Minster uh, is a wizard. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Santa. Uh, false. He's a paladin. <laughs> Well, and it's always funny because it's the questions I don't get. There. I'm like, I'm, like the one was like, oh, Stephen Colbert. I'm like, I know this one. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, I don't think that I missed that thing between uh, Scott and Finder there about literally though. Uh, <laughs> do you guys uh, you guys want to talk about that for a second before we, or or should we leave that lie? I, I'm just I was I was playing catch up. And I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Oh, I don't because, even want to. That yeah, was weird. I'm going to tell you, I I I didn't see it until like the next day. And uh, I was going to add to it because nobody had said anything else in the, ch- in the channel. Uh, and I just decided against it, but I was going to bring up the fact that, you know, they literally has a definition that's attached to it that allows it to be used figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to English, everyone. 
but amongst the worst languages. I, I I was reading that in real time, and I was just like, oh, I was oh, not. No, I know. I and I was, was reading it to you, and I was like, this is a oh. weird debate these two dipshits are having. Oh, no, I know, and I was even just thinking, and it was kind of funny because oh, earlier that day. I'm pretty sure, Finder, I said something, and you're like, no, that you're using that incorrectly, and we got into a discussion about that, too. You're, like, on a literary, like, just tirade that well, day. He has a fucking degree in fucking writing. Yeah, I know. I know. He has a degree in 15th century poetry, if we're all getting really <laughs> honest. Yeah. But he's an author, so I will... You know, I default to people I, who... I will write. always concede to whenever he says I'm doing something wrong when it comes to language. Yeah. And, and you shouldn't, because I do stuff wrong all the time with it. I'll just switch to yeah, a But I'm not smart enough to realize that you're doing something wrong. <laughs> exactly. All right, so... Oh, shit. Hold on. I got the card. I just forgot the stupid categories. because I I'll didn't never... actually look at it, so... Do you want to use that one, then? Uh, no, I didn't look at it. I just downloaded it. And okay, we'll delete it, it quickly and then played a video game. Okay, well, we have there's six categories of four people, so let's do this. All right, Jared, magic miscellany, history, monsters, dungeons and adventures, characters, or cosmology. Uh, I, I think uh, so. I don't want to embarrass myself again. I'll take an easy one and go with magic. <laughs> magic miscellany. <laughs> All right, here we go. Which necromantic spell can cause blinding sickness, filth fever, and slimy doom? Is this edition specific? No, I don't know. It just that's the question. It's <laughs> the fucking question, Jared. <laughs> can I get it? Can I get it in a sentence? Uh, I, I, I think I think it's contagion. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I just, I just don't know if that it, that spell made it into fifth edition, which is why I was hesitant. Yeah, of course, well, like, yeah, because you're like, yeah, like those are, well, like, first off, slimy doom's not real. <laughs> oh, fuck. oh shit! Is that I, like a medieval STD? That's probably. Uh, uh, isn't that what uh, green slimes used to give you? Slimy doom. Uh, fuck, maybe. I don't know, man. That's a because I think they used to turn you into green slime. They do. They they would eat your. Oh, I was that was an unfortunate turn of fucking turn of phrase. It almost came out. They would dissolve. <laughs> yes, they would deal with you, and then you would turn into green slime. Ooh, I caught myself on that one. Oh shit. Oh man. Oh Jesus, wept. All right, Santa. History, monsters, dungeons and adventures, characters, or cosmology. You know what? I'm not afraid to fail. History. Oh. <laughs> Who was the host of the late night show Tomorrow that had Gary Gygax as a guest in 1979? Say Satan. Say Satan. No, who's, Larry, who's, Larry King. Larry King. Who's the host of this show that I've never heard of? <laughs> what? Uh, no, the answer is Tom Snyder. Okay. I, yep, my, my, my other thought was going to be Geraldo. I, <laughs> just as a valid as a guess, to be honest. Oh, Rich. Uh, monsters, Dungeons and Adventures, characters, or cosmology? Uh, let's go with monsters. Oh, you motherfuckers, I don't want cosmology. 
which type of golem is the most charismatic? Clay, flesh, iron, or stone? Oh, the most charismatic. Yeah. Uh, let's go with flesh. Very good. Look at you. Look at the big brain <laughs> guesser, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't memorize monster stat blocks. Uh, I don't know that I ever have. It's a thought golem. <laughs> uh, oh, note to self. Hold really, on. he's really good for late night conversations by the fire. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, no, no, he's just better than the other golems. Right. <laughs> I was. One We're talking time. points of difference. Okay. I'm just saying. Well, hold on. They actually say it. Uh, flesh golems have a charisma score of five. Each other golems has a charisma score of one. Whoa. Just like Drew Barrymore's character in <laughs> E.T. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys can choose for me. Dungeons and Advent. What? What? That's my cosmology. Ah, fucking cosmology. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I, I, I was thinking that one, our no, characters, so that one, you can answer one. another cartoon one. Fuck, and how many stones make up the wyvern stones of Hullock, a group of menhirs in the kingdom of Cormir in Faerun? Fucking seven. Um, <laughs> Twelve. Fuck, could have been anything. Could have been, there's no stones. <laughs> at least I know where Cormir is. They're logs, trick question. Yes, right. I mean, I know where Cormir is, at least. Uh, it's just frustrating. I'm actually a little bit surprised that it didn't show up in the D and D movie. Yeah, there's yeah, that's so they did some member berries for the setting, but yeah, there was some weird leave outs. So there's two questions left, right? Mm-hmm. We only got two people who got right answers. Okay. So this is kind of like the lightning round. Okay, so for <laughs> so for Jared, does Jared get dungeon Santa, you choose. No, his opponent chooses. No, Santa, oh. yeah. Well, yeah, let's Santa choose. No, Santa, no, no. You, what? Santa just fucking choose. Dungeons and Adventures or characters for Jared? Ooh. Have fun playing Kingmaker. <laughs> characters. Characters. Uh, if this card is so poorly fucking designed. If pressed in battle, the evil cleric Fzul Shambril can summon up to eight of what powerful undead monsters? Ooh. Uh, so I know who Fazul Shimbril is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say ghouls. Uh, death tyrants. Mm. Damn. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, as a DM, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Good luck, party. Yeah, yeah no, like I, I was, I was not expecting something that level when they said powerful. My goodness! Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy shit! All right, uh, Rich, uh, this is Dungeons and Adventures for the round. How much does the yawning portal charge adventurers and tourists to ride the rope down the well into Undermountain? Uh, you know, I have that adventure on roll twenty. I have never read it. I've never even looked at it. So I'm going to say 10 gold. Pretty sure it's one. Are we going to allow Jared to try to steal this answer? Sure. All right. <laughs> Jared, what's your answer? Pretty sure it's one. One fucking gold piece it is, and it's from the earlier editions of Yawning Portal, which they probably kept in 5E as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Jared is the winner. Who would have assumed? I guess that. Yeah. <laughs> Color me shocked. But well done. Well done. Some of the questions are just like, I'm going to dig through them. Just like, are we ever going to get out of so fucking favor? there. Yeah. Yeah, some oh, of the questions aren't really out there. The, the, the tomorrow show? What the fuck is that? I, I, I'm willing to bet that we aren't ever going to get out of Faerun because no. for whatever reason, everybody thinks that that's the d yep. setting and it makes me so sad. Yeah. It's, what, it's yeah. I mean, I don't have the hate for Faerun that you do, but yeah. there's there's like at least four other settings that they published for it. Yeah. Give them some love. Yep. Yeah, it's just like, come on, guys. What the fuck? Have you shuffled the deck? No, it's in the box how it came. So I'm just, it just sits there on the floor and I kick it every once in a while when we're playing fucking Dragonlance. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking going over this Dragonlance module. We're about to wrap this fucking module the fuck up a lot faster than I fucking. (laughs) I, 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 I can't read more of this nonsense anymore. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder how much high. gold we can get. How much gold can we get? <laughs> uh, Jared, in case you're curious, we we play uh, Dragonlance. He listens to the I show. know. I, 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 I was. I, know. I, I uh, forget fact, the, the, la- the last time I was on. You guys were considering adding me to the game, but oh, that's right. Oh yeah. Hmm. Right now, it's just. Put a pin in that conversation. I mean, it de- it definitely Which sounds like the game is going to end soon. It's so definitely going to be ending a lot sooner because I can't take their bullshit of what they what they're doing with this. I'm well, like, oh my god. Well, let's just give all the decision making over to Finder, and we should have a TPK in about ten minutes. <laughs> There's a few pieces I'm real worried about. That I actually thought I was going to die a hundred percent last time. I mean, if he hadn't intervened with the puppet power on that dragon now. I was, I was dead. I mean, I, the dragon now and the rider went a little light, but I, I wanted to send a message, not a manifesto. So, first time. so. But anyways, I think on that note, folks, I think that's all the time we have for today. We're hitting about an hour and 20 minutes and people are probably sick and tired of hearing our voices. So thanks again, Jared, for hopping on. Uh, it was lovely yeah. having you here. I was lovely yep. being here. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Love the beard. Jealous. <laughs> and on that note, folks, uh, see you later and have a good week. Bye-bye. Deuces.